Hey, uh, really, really glad you're here today. I uh, want to let you know about something coming up before we jump into what we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, on, on August 21st, just a few weeks from now, because um, today's the last day of July. I don't know if you realize that. Summer is almost gone, unfortunately. But on August 21st, we're going to have a partnership class at our office. And uh, partnership is what we call, uh, instead of membership here, we have partners. And, uh, and, and you can come to this class and find out why we call it that. But, but if you've been coming to Freedom for a while or you're, you're hanging around and you're thinking, hey, this might be the church that, that I want to settle down and put my roots down in and find a place to serve and all those kinds of things, um, this, is a, this is where you need to come. You need to come to partnership class. Uh, it takes a couple hours, and we will tell you more about this church than you probably wanted to know. And uh, you can find out uh, where we stand on certain things and and what our policies are and and, uh, what our vision and mission and those kinds of things are. And uh, just to give you an opportunity where you can say, yeah, I want to commit to being a part of this church. At the end of the class, you can walk away and not be a part of freedom and still come every Sunday morning. You don't, we, we don't. Push, we don't put a hard sell on you like you're at a, at a car dealership or something and try to get you out the door with a new car or anything like that. We just want you to know about our church and then give you the opportunity to say, yeah, this is the place I think God wants me to or I need to pray a little bit longer about that or, or all of those kinds of things. So just want you to know about that. You can register for that online uh, on our website or you can register for that uh, out in the atrium. There's our website right there, freedomfellowshipsc.com. And while that's up, I also want to remind you that every week uh, the messages that we, that we do here on Sunday mornings are, are online. Uh, in a podcast section there, you can download those. You can listen to them just live right there on the computer, or you can download them, put them on your iPod or uh, whatever it is that you, that you use to do that kind of stuff. And uh, the reason I'm telling you that is it's summertime. And there's some of y'all I saw today, I ain't seen y'all since like April, because you know, y'all went on like a 12-week vacation, which was awesome. No, not that long, but, but it, we were, we're all in and out in the summer, you know, and we have opportunities to go places, which is awesome. Do that. Go those places with your family. But while you're gone, you can listen uh, to the messages later and, and catch up on what you missed, because we've been involved in a series, and we're closing this series up today uh, called Spam. And, uh, and it's, it's not about the, the tasty luncheon meat, but it is about uh, the unwanted stuff that comes into our lives. And we've talked for the last few weeks about different things that, uh, that come into our lives unexpectedly, things that we don't want, and how we can deal with those things. And, uh, and as I was talking about the podcast stuff, I want to encourage you, if you were not here last week, I especially want to encourage you to go back and listen to last week's message. Donnie, Donnie brought the message last week, and he did a, a fantastic job talking about the, the spam we talked about last week is unwanted images and different things that come into our, to, our, to our lives. Uh, things like consumeristic images, things like sexual images, all those kinds of things. And so, um, so go back, if you, didn't, if you weren't here last week, go back and listen to that one because it was really, really good stuff. Well, today we're going to talk about, we're going to finish up and we're going to talk about a spam filter. Now, now you know uh, on your computer, if, if you know anything about computers at all and the Internet, um, you need a spam filter on your computer. And, uh, and what that does is it tries to keep that junk that's trying to come in out. And, and so if, if you have a spam filter on your computer and it's working correctly, you shouldn't be getting a lot of emails into your inbox, you know, telling you that some dude in Nigeria wants to give you $50 million if you'll just give him your social security number or that, you know, you, you can uh, lose 45 pounds in 45 minutes or any of that kind of stuff. You shouldn't be getting that stuff in your inbox if your spam filter is working. Now, here's the deal about the spam filter on your computer. You don't really have to, 
know anything for that thing to work. And here's how I know that. I don't know anything about computers, and mine's working great. Because whatever web browser I use, that's the fancy word for when you click on that little picture and the internet comes up, that's called a web browser. Um, whatever one you use, if it's a, a good one, it should have a spam filter built into it. And it's already working. So if you use Firefox or Explore or, or Safari or whatever web browser you use, if, it, the spam, if it's working correctly, the spam filter should already be working. And, and you really won't ever know about it unless you go in this little uh, box on your email. You know, you got your inbox and your sent items and your outbox, and you got one that says spam. Be careful if you open that up because it'll just blow you away with all the stupid stuff that's come in. But uh, it, it should automatically be going there in the, in the spam filter. It should be working on its own. Well, we have a spam filter that God has provided for us for the stuff that comes into our lives, the serious stuff that we've been talking about for the last few weeks. And the spam filter that God has provided for us to help us deal with these unwanted and unexpected things that come our way is His Word, the Bible. That is the best spam filter we've got. But it works differently than the spam filter on your computer. Uh, the spam filter on your computer you don't have to think about, you don't have to worry about, and, uh, and, and, and it works. You can't just carry a Bible around with you or sleep with it under your pillow at night and automatically have wisdom of God and, and all of that kind of stuff. So we're going to talk today about our spam filter, the Bible, and how we should respond to it and what is it good for. And, uh, and as when we start, I want you to look, there's a verse of Scripture in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, which I think is uh, just, it's a good description of, of what the Bible is for us. It says this, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. We're going to come back to that verse in just a little bit. But one of the things that I think that God's Word does for us that is so important is God's Word keeps us from being distracted. God's Word keeps us from being distracted. See, so much of this stuff that comes into your life unexpectedly, they are distractions that keep, you, keep your mind somewhere other than where God wants it to be. And you get your mind focused on this over here, and all of a sudden you realize that you're not doing what it is that God wants you to do. Uh, I thought of a story that Donnie shared with me, and I don't even think I've told Donnie I'm going to share this story today, so I hope it's okay. It's about their dog. And um, he told me this story, and it, it reminded me so much of, of what we do. Um, Don, Donnie and, and uh, Shelly, they have this dog. And uh, I, what is y'all's dog's name, Shelly? Max, that's right. And he's like a Sheltie, which to me looks like a miniature lassie. But anyway, he's a real pretty dog with a lot of fur. And uh, he's a great dog. And uh, Donnie took Max one day to the, to the pet med people on the side of the road to get his shots, right? And so because Donnie's a good dog owner and he wants his dog to be healthy. And so he's standing out there. He's got Max on a leash. And the reason he's got him on a leash is to keep him from running off and, uh, you know, running away or getting in a fight with a bigger dog and getting killed or any of that kind of stuff. And he's out there, you know, paying money to have somebody put a shot in his dog so that the dog can be healthy and live and, and not get rabies and all that kind of stuff. Well, when they get out of the car, there's like dogs everywhere, and Max goes into sensory smelling overload thinking, I've got to get around here and sniff all these dogs' rear ends. You know, it's just that he immediately went into that, this is too good to be true. Look at all these butts out here that I can be sniffing. And so he's just going, you know, going bananas, and Donnie's got him on the leash, and he's trying to get away, and Donnie's holding him. And so finally he calms down for a minute, and Donnie's thinking he's fine, and next thing you know, Donnie feels something. 
Max has hiked up his leg and is peeing right on Donnie's leg. Now, here's, here's the thing about Max. Never before that day had Max ever peed on Donnie before, and never since then has Max ever peed on Donnie. And as far as I know, Max has never peed on any of their kids or any, anybody else's kids. Max doesn't pee on people. But in that situation, all of a sudden there were all these distractions. There was all this stuff to take his mind off of what it needed to be on, and, and he just lost his mind. And next thing you know, he's peeing on the one person who provides for him and protects him and, and gives him a good life. Right there, he just did that. And now this might seem crazy to you, but I think for us as human beings, we get so much stuff that comes in at us, all this spam, this stuff that comes in, and all it wants to do is distract us away from what God wants us to do. And the next thing you know, before we know it, we are dishonoring the God who gives us a reason to live, we're dishonoring the God who protects us, and we're dishonoring the God that provides for us. Because we have been distracted by all of these other things that are out there. And what God's Word does for us, what the Bible does for us, is that it keeps us from becoming distracted if we are in it. And then that way it will keep us from dishonoring God. So I want you to look at, the, go ahead and open your Bibles to, to the book of Matthew. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament, which is the second half of the Bible. Matthew chapter 4. And I'm going to read to you a story and kind of talk through this story. It's a great story about something that happened in the life of Jesus. And it shows us how God's Word does this, how God's Word keeps us from being distracted. Matthew chapter 4, I'm going to start in verse 1, and we're going to read verses 1 through 10 together. It says this, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Now, he was tempted. I want you to just... to. The, be sure we're clear on something. Being tempted is not the same as sinning, okay? Jesus never sinned. Jesus was completely free of sin. But the Bible says that he was tempted in every way that we are tempted. Did you know that? So that means that if you've ever been tempted sexually, Jesus was tempted sexually. He had to deal with that just like you've had to deal with that. If you've ever been tempted to take something that's not yours, Jesus was tempted to take something that was not his. And see, we, when we think about Jesus sometimes, we know that he's perfect. And for some reason, we tend to believe that it was just easy for Jesus to be perfect. Like he walked around here and he wasn't even interested in hooking up with somebody that he wasn't married to. And he wasn't even interested in cheating on his taxes. And he wasn't even interested in doing those kinds of things. But what the Bible tells us was he was tempted just like we are tempted. The difference was we give in to that temptation and we sin from time to time. Jesus never did. So he was tempted. So that's what these distractions were. They were temptations for him. Verse 3 says this. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. So he's been out in the desert for 40 days, hasn't eaten anything. Obviously, he's hungry. He has a legitimate physical need. And the first thing the devil does to tempt him is he hits on that physical need. He hits on something that's real. It's not that he wasn't hungry. He really was hungry. He really did need something to eat. And he tempted him by saying, hey, you're hungry. You're God. Make these stones into bread. Now, I want you to notice how Jesus responds to, the, to Satan because this is, this is where we get it to what we're talking about today. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
Jesus is quoting the Bible there. That's in Deuteronomy 8.3. You can go to your own Bible and look at Deuteronomy 8.3, and it says those words that Jesus just said. So Jesus, when he's tempted, what does he do? He quotes Scripture. Next, look at what uh, Satan does next, verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. So first, the devil tempts him with a physical need. The next thing he tempts him with is pride. Hey, if you're God, prove it. You say you are, prove it. So he tempts him with pride. How does Jesus respond? Verse 7, what does he do again? Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put your Lord, the Lord your God to the test. Deuteronomy 6.16. Once again, Jesus comes back, quotes scripture when he's tempted. Last, Satan gives it one last shot. Verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Now notice what Jesus was tempted with here. Because I know none of us have ever been tempted with this. Jesus is probably the only one. He was tempted with money and material things. Has anybody ever been tempted with that? Man, I am all the time. I ride down the road and I look at cars and I start thinking of ways that I could finance one or rob a bank and get one, you know, whatever it's going to take. I need that right there. Need that new Dodge Challenger. That's what I need. And so he was tempted with money and material things. How does he respond? Look at verse 10. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now think about this with me just for a second. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus was at creation. He, he, he created the earth. He, he was God in the flesh, comes to earth, lives in a human body. Jesus was tempted like we were, but Jesus was also all-powerful. And you read in the Scripture and you can see example after example where he, he performs these miracles. He walks on water and he raises people from the dead. He has all the power that can be had. And when he gets tempted by the devil, what does he do? He doesn't raise somebody from the dead. He doesn't call down an army of angels. He doesn't lift up dead people out of the grave and make swords out of nothing and tell them to go off and fight Satan. What does he do? He simply quotes the Bible. He goes to the Scripture. Now, if Jesus, the Son of God, if he felt the need to know Scripture good enough to be able to quote it to, to, to Satan when he was being tempted, how much more do we as sinful human beings, need to know it? How much more do we need to be familiar with it so that we can quote it when, when that time comes in our life? And the cool thing about it is, that I love, is that in this situation, Jesus didn't do anything that we can't do. I read the Scripture, and there's a lot of things I see Jesus do, and I think, I could never do that. I've never been to a funeral and had the family all broke up and me say, hey, what are y'all crying about? And walk up and touch the dead body and him get up and, and walk out and then we all go, you know, eat at Taco Bell afterwards. I've never done that. Jesus did that. Jesus went to a funeral and everybody's, you know, they're, they're all, you know, weeping and mourning. And Jesus walks in and says, what are y'all doing? And he touches this kid and he gets up and lives. But you know what Jesus did here? He did something that all of us can do. He quoted the Bible. And we've got it. We've got the same scripture he had. Not only that, we've got scripture that he didn't have. We've got scripture that was written after he had left earth. Stuffed by a guy named the Apostle Paul. And we've got access to all of it. 
and we can live by that and we can use that when we're tempted. So here's, here's the second thing that's just really basic, but, but if, if we're going to allow the, the Word of God to keep us from being distracted, we have to do this. For God's Word to work in your life, you have to know it. For God's Word to work in your life, you have to know it. I said a while ago that you just can't carry the Bible around and expect all of a sudden to be wise and godly. You can't sleep with it under your pillow and absorb it through some kind of you know, spiritual osmosis. For us to, to have the Word to work in our life, we have to know it. Your spam filter on your computer, I don't know if you know this or not, but if, if you know what you're doing, you can disable it. If you're ever feeling lonely and you just haven't gotten any emails in a while, you can go in and disable your spam filter, and then you'll be getting stuff every day from people that are offering you all kinds of things, and it'll make you feel better about yourself because now you're getting emails, right? You can do that if you want to. And when we don't read the Bible, when, when we have a Bible that sits on our shelf and you don't ever take it down, you don't ever read it, you don't open it up, you don't study it, you don't, you don't try to memorize it, you, it just sits in your house then it's like disabling that spam filter on your computer. You're disabling it because it will not magically make you a strong believer just by being in the presence of a Bible. You have to know it, and in order to know it, you have to read it. You've got to spend time in it. Um, there, there's lots of things in, in this world that I'm interested in and that I like, and uh, two of the things that, that I'm interested in the most and, and I really, really like are, uh, are sports and music. I love both sports and music. And... Um, and I, I've been accused of, uh, I've played Trivial Pursuit with people and been accused of trying to, of, you know, memorizing the cards before they showed up and that kind of thing because I just know so many useless facts about sports and music. And I can tell you people's batting averages from the 40s and I can tell you MVP winners and, and Super Bowl champs for down through the years and I can tell you lineups of bands and why this guy quit singing with this band and moved to this other band and I can quote lyrics of songs and give you albums, you know, quote albums, you know, every album that somebody recorded all the way from their, their whole career. I can do all that kind of stuff. You know why I can? Because I've spent a ton of time watching sports and reading about sports and listening to music and reading about music. Unfortunately, I know more about sports and music than I do about the Bible. I'm not proud of that. I'm just telling you that's the way it is. And I know there's some of you right now saying, the preacher doesn't know, he knows more about something other than the Bible? You know why I know more about sports and music than I do about the Bible? Because in my 42 years on this earth, I've spent more time watching sports and I've spent more time listening to music than I have reading and studying the Bible. And if I want to be serious about the Bible, if I want to be someone that, that when, when things come in my life, that it's the Bible, that's, it's quotes from the Bible that come to my mind to keep me from being distracted, I have to know this. In order to know this, I have to spend time in it. I have to spend lots of time in it. I have to read it every day. It has to become a part of who I am. 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, just look at the screen, says this, Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. It says, train yourself to be godly. Now notice, that doesn't happen by accident. Nobody becomes godly by just getting up in the morning. Be, becoming godly is not like rolling a ball down a hill. We don't naturally roll towards godliness. Godliness doesn't naturally seep in 
to our lives. And I love that in the verse after that, in verse 8, that Timothy compares becoming godly to physical training. He says, for physical training is of some value. We know for a fact, we know that you don't naturally become physically fit, do you? If, you, if, if every day you come home from work and you sit and you eat Cheetos and watch Shark Week, and that's what you do for, your, for you know, every day when you get home from work, you're not going to wake up one morning and be able to run a marathon or be able to bench press 250. It's just not going to happen. Because in order to get physically fit, what do you have to do? You have to train. You have to go to the gym. You have to run. You have to watch what you eat. You have to do all of those things. You have to get plenty of sleep. Those are the things that it takes to become physically fit. And just like becoming physically fit, to be spiritually fit, to become spiritually strong, you have to train. You have to train yourself to become godly. It's not going to happen by, by you know, watching TV all the time. And let me tell you what else. It's not going to happen by coming here one Sunday a week or one day a week and listening to me or coming here two times a month and listening to me or downloading a podcast and listening to me or, or Andy Stanley or whoever it is that you listen to. It's not going to happen by just doing that. It's going to take personal time, you and God, alone with the Bible, reading it, asking Him what it means, reading it again if you don't understand it, reading it the next day if you didn't understand that first day, reading it the third day if you didn't understand that second day. Maybe by the fourth day you'll read something that you get, but it's going to take time for you to do that. For you to know the Word, it's going to take time in the Word. Now, there's a huge reason why we need to know the word. And, and I skipped over a part of Matthew 4 a while ago, and some of y'all probably said, hey, wait a minute, Cliff, you need to say something like that. That's really important. One of the big reasons why you need to know the word is because Satan knows the word. Look back at Matthew chapter 4, verse 6. Remember when uh, the first time Satan tempted Jesus was with a physical temptation, and then he tempts him with a temptation of pride? And look at what, look at what S- Satan says. He says, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. Now the Bible's going to bust out some, um, I mean, Satan's going to bust out some Bible on Jesus, which takes a lot of guts because, you know, Jesus is God and all, and it's his word. And he says, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. That's from the Bible. Satan knows the Bible so that he can quote it to you, but here's what he does. When Satan quotes the Bible to you, he twists it. He pulls it out of context. He, he, he leaves certain parts of it out when he quotes it to you. And so you'll hear the word, and if it's not from someone who is preaching what the gospel says, then, it, it, then it's going to come into your life and it's going to confuse you. So you need to know what it really says for yourself. So that when Satan does quote the Bible at you, you're ready to say, like Jesus said, hey, all right, cool, but it also says this. And you took that out of context. So when you hear somebody stand, stand up and say, hey, the world's going to end on May 22nd, 2011, you can say, that dude's an idiot because the Bible also says no one knows the day or the time. Or when somebody goes and pickets a funeral and they hold up signs saying that God hates certain groups of people, you can remember and you can say, those people don't know what they're talking about because the Bible also says that God loves everybody and that he died for all and that salvation can be given to anyone who asks for it. But you've got to know the word in order to recognize when someone is misusing it. You've got to know it in order to, when Satan takes it out of context. And he will do that. Jesus said in John 8, 44, when he was talking about Satan, he said that when he lies, he speaks his native tongue because he is the father of lies. That's what he does. He's going to try to mess you up 
He's going to try to confuse you. And he'll even use the Bible to do it. So we need to know it even more because he will use it as a weapon against us. And the last thing that I think we need to be aware of, not only do we have to know the, the word of God in order for it to work in our life, but for God's word to work in your life, you have to submit to it. Knowing it's good, but it's not enough. Hebrews 4.12, again, says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It's living and active. This is not just a book of history, even though there's history in it. Now, I know when you read the Bible, it all the stuff in here all happened at least 2,000 years ago, some of it longer than that. And I know that it happened in a part of the world that most of us will never even go to. And I know that these people had weird traditions and, and all that kind of stuff, and they spoke a different language than us. But even for all the differences from the way things were in Bible times to the way they are in 2011 here in South Carolina, there are certain things that have never changed. Who God is has never changed. Who God wants us to be has never changed. How God wants us to live in relationship to Him has never changed. The truths and the principles about grace and mercy and love and judgment have never changed. And they never will change. And so that's why when we read the Word of God, we have to know it and we have to learn it, but it's more than just about learning facts. It's about submitting to it. You can tell me, you can quote me all the begats of who begat who and who begat who and all that kind of stuff, and I would be impressed with that. But then if your life doesn't line up with the way the Bible says, I'm not going to be as impressed anymore with your Bible knowledge because it's not just about knowing it, but it's about submitting to it. It's about being willing to obey it and live by it. James 1, through 25 says this, Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. That's... That's about as blunt of Bible verse as you're ever going to find. Don't just listen to it, do it. That was before Nike ever came out with just do it. James invented that and then Nike stole it from him. And it says this, Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. James says, spend lots of time in the Word, but then when you're done looking at it, when you walk out of there, be sure that you're living by it. Because it, he, he says it's just ridiculous if you just look at it and then walk away and do something different. It's like looking at your face in a mirror and then forgetting what you look like. I read somebody that said, Scripture is given to us not merely to inform us, but to complete us. And I love that. Because we're incomplete. We're sinful people. And when we read the Word of God, when we begin to live by the principles of the Word of God, then what happens is we truly become the men and the women that God wants us to be. We're incomplete without it. But it completes us. It moves us in the direction of where He wants us to be and become the people He wants us to be. See, Scripture should be our guide for everything. It should be our guide for our morality. It should be the guide for our relationships. It should be our guide for how we, how we live at work. It should be our guide for how we deal with our neighbors. It should be our guide for how we deal with our money. It should be, deal, it should be our guide with how we deal with our material possessions. It should be our guide for all of that stuff. 
There's not an area of your life that you should live outside of what the Bible teaches. Now, I want you to walk away from today um, understanding the importance of the Word of God, and I want you to walk away from today understanding that, that you need to take responsibility for your knowledge of the Word of God. It's, it's time for us as Christians to quit blaming uh, the pastor of the church you used to go to because he didn't feed you or to quit blaming your parents because they didn't take you to Sunday school every week or to quit blaming the TV preacher because you spent an hour listening to him and then when you got done you were confused about what he said because he was teaching a bunch of garbage that's not really what the Bible teaches. And you need to take responsibility, all of us do, for the fact that if we're going to know the Word, if we're going to live by the Word, we've got to take that responsibility. I've used this example before, but I just think it's humorous. I, I love it. I love it and I hate it. <clears throat> I love it and I hate it. It's, I love it because it's funny to me. When people tell me, yeah, we used to go to such and such church, but I just wasn't being fed, so I quit going there. Now I'm coming to your church, Cliff. And what I want to say to people that tell me that is, well, pretty soon you're going to accuse me of not feeding you too because it's not my job to feed you. It's your job to get in the Word, to read it, and to feed yourself and ask God to give you what He wants you to know. I've been married to Sherry for 20 years, and my wife is an awesome cook. She was a good cook before we got married. That was kind of like putting a down payment on a husband. She knew that I liked that, and so that would make me want to marry her. But uh, There was a lot of other good stuff, too. But, but uh, she's just gotten better the longer we've been married, and she makes this stuff. I mean, I just love it. And... Uh, and she cooks for us regularly. And, and even when she doesn't cook, she'll say, I'm not cooking tonight, but I've got such and such in the freezer for you or this. So, you know, I, I can just, I always have food provided for me, ready to eat. But if, if tomorrow Sherry walked in and she said, you know what, I'm not cooking this week. Do y'all think I'm going to eat this week? I'm 42 years old and I like to eat. I'm going to find me something to eat. I'm going to go to Burger King or I'm going to make me a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. But I tell you what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to sit at the table at supper time and think, nobody's feeding me. I'm going to eat. And it's the same way with our spiritual lives. You want to go to your church and say, oh, this pastor, he didn't feed me. Well, then why were you sitting at the supper table without anything in front of you when you got the Bible and you could have fed yourself? We've got to take responsibility for the fact that when stuff comes into our lives that we didn't expect. And if we can't deal with it, and if we let it get the best of us, we have something that can filter all that garbage out. But you've got to take responsibility, I've got to take responsibility, and we've got to read it, we've got to study it, we've got to submit to it, and live by it. And then that will make all the difference for us. If you're here today and this is brand new to you, I want you to Come talk to me. I'd love to tell you more about what this word has to say. And the most important thing that it has to tell you is this. God loves you, and he's got a plan for you, and he loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross so that you could be forgiven of all the rotten, stinky things that you've done in your life. I've done some pretty nasty stuff. 
and God's forgiven me of all of it. Because I deserved it? No. But because Jesus died on the cross for me, and I trust in his blood to forgive me of those things. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a prayer. When I'm done praying, um, before you leave, before we sing the final song, uh, if you need to, you need to talk to, to me or to somebody else today about dealing with Jesus, uh, you do that before you leave here. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the gift of your word. Lord, oftentimes I, I find myself trying to fix a problem or figure something out on my own and then you gently remind me that I need to start my search in the Bible. And it's amazing that when, when I am regularly reading your word like I'm supposed to and I'm regularly meditating on it like I'm supposed to, it's amazing how differently I view life. And so, Father, I pray for all of us in here who are your followers that we would understand that we've been given a treasure we understand that we've been given a tool that can keep us from distractions, keep us from temptations, and keep us focused on the good, godly plan that you have for us. Lord, if there are those here today who don't know you, I pray that you would convict their heart of sin and they would not be able to sleep at night until they understand your grace and they accept you as their Savior. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.